Welcome back, everybody. You're listening to Weight Loss in the Mind 2.0. Think fit, be fit. I'm your host, Scott Patton. And along with us, as usual, is a gentleman who I want to quote him before I bring him on. His superhuman success reminder. Yes, you can accomplish great things in life. Many, many great things. But to accomplish them without dedication discipline, and devotion is a pipe dream. In my own experience as a student and as a coach, nothing moved me up faster than having the willingness and the discipline to practice more than anyone else. Matt Fury. Hey, Matt, how are you doing today? Doing great, Scott. Thank you very much. And I enjoyed hearing those books. Uh, When you read it, I... I almost thought I must have had a ghostwriter or something. Uh, they're that good. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking we should start every show with one of your superhuman success reminders because I just loved that one, and, uh, and I got a lot out of it. And one of the things that we were talking by the way, thank you very much, Matt, for joining us. Matt is uh, on his way driving uh, to a whole bunch of meetings that he's got to go to, and I said, look, you know, you're, you're not doing anything while you're driving. Let's talk. So if you hear some strange noises in the background, it's his car, or, or hopefully it's not him running over an alligator or anything like that down or, in Florida. Or a, white hawk, or a white hawk screeching in the background. That's right, a white hawk screeching in the background. And uh, so wh- when, I got, when I was looking at this superhuman success reminder, Matt, it reminded me of about... 18 to 20 months ago when I first started doing hot yoga. And I'm, as I had mentioned to you earlier, I'm, I'm now doing hot yoga twice, twice a week. That's my goal, doing it twice a week. And to be quite honest, it's pretty effortless doing it. The, uh, you know, I've sort of made the decision. I've kind of got in the, in the groove. Uh, the discipline doesn't seem to be a problem. But I was thinking back to uh, you know, 18 months ago, 20 months ago, when there was no way uh, I had the discipline to go to hot yoga on a regular basis. I was willing to go, no problem there, but if, uh, if my buddy didn't come by and knock on the door and say, okay, let's go, it's time to go, uh, I wouldn't have gone because, oh, I've got this to do, i got that to do, i got my kids. You know, there was all sorts of excuses. And so my discipline muscle at that time was flabby. And now, uh, you know, a year and a half later, it's uh, pretty rock solid in terms of this particular uh, goal that I have, which is to go twice, twice a week to, to hot yoga. And it's just like anything else. We need to build up that muscle, build up that discipline. And uh, what I loved about your reminder was having the willingness and the discipline. In the beginning, I had the willingness. I didn't have the discipline. But I was able to get somebody to work with me and help me and support me uh, until I was able to, you know, have the discipline to, to continue on. I just thought that was uh, that was a really good reminder. Yeah, it uh, it is a good reminder, and because discipline, I think it was Jim Rohn who had the famous quote, "Discipline is remembering." And mm. I mean, three words is that. You kind of remember what your goals were, what your commitments were, what it is you said you were going to do, uh, why you're going to do it. 
one of the things we've probably often heard is that don't just tell me what your goals are. Give me all the reasons why you want to achieve them. And if you reveal your reasons why, that gives you the discipline. So discipline is remembering. And, and also discipline isn't just an attitude. It's a skill as well. And mm -hmm. like any skill, like learning how to uh, write or speak a foreign language or open the switchblade, <laughs> Um, that or fire a fire a rifle or go fishing or paint. Those are all skills, and discipline is a skill as well. Although many people often think that it's not, that it's simply an attitude. So, and you know, I bring up the switchblade, uh, not really jokingly, because that's another example of something. As a friend of mine some time ago gave me a knife as a present for Christmas. And I had never used a knife in my entire life other than for cutting food. And this guy is the world-renowned expert on how to use a knife. I just had no interest. I'm a hand-to-hand -hand martial artist, but with my hands, not with the weapon. And I always look those people who could just whip a knife out and demonstrate in front of a room that, oh, man, what an ego, and, oh, why does he have to pull that knife out? And, and he's just doing that to show he's macho or whatever. Uh, but my whole attitude on that changed. Napoleon Hill said he used to hate when he would see people dressed in flashy clothes or wearing a certain kind of hat or whatever it would make his stomach churn. And then one day he said, well, why don't you put on their clothes and maybe you'll change your attitude. And so he did, and he tried out wearing the flashy clothes or the fedora hat or whatever, and he said, hey, this is kind of cool, and he liked it. So then he got an understanding of what really is going on in the mind of the person who's wearing those kind of clothes. So when I first got the knife, recalling this teacher's advice of you got to practice every day. Well, I'm no stranger to that. I understand that. you got to open this thing 200 times a day. You just go off into a quiet room and you just practice opening it. And so at first, it was scary to me. And I, I'd used two hands to open this knife. And I nicked myself a couple times and almost cut myself many more times and put a Band-Aid on. And then I was so thrilled when I could open this with two hands with ease. And mm. my friends, I had no idea whether they even knew how to use a knife. And so I was really thought I had something. Hey, look at this. I got this knife. And I pull it out and use both hands. And one guy says to me, oh, well, you got to be able to do it with one hand. And he was able to use his thumb and push it open with one hand. And I said, how'd you do that? So I then began practicing that. When I thought I had that down, I then showed it to a different friend, and he goes, oh, let me see that knife. And then he just flicked his wrist, and the thing came open. So what did you do there? How'd you do that? 
You used the thumb screw, did you? No, I didn't use the thumb screw. I just, it's gravity. And he would just crack his hand and arm like a whip, and it would open. Right. And so now I had, I first of all, I, I, I practiced what the first guy, the second guy had taught me, and opening with one hand. And when I thought I had that good, then I had to, oh, my God, i got to learn how to open this with just the flick of the wrist. And 200 reps a day, every day. And the movement would be big. I'd have to really shake my arm one direction and then the other, and then it would open. Then one day, when I was at about 170 reps in a row, the knife opened, and I couldn't believe it was open because I'd barely moved. So what mm. happens is I found the groove. I found yeah. the success groove where it's open. And you're stunned that it's open because you did almost nothing compared to what you used to do to open it. And that's how discipline is. That's how any skill is. In the beginning, there's a lot of movement in order to try to accomplish a little. And as you get better, the movement is refined and refined and refined to the point where a very small change creates a big ripple, creates a big difference in your results. And so yeah, Matt, that's that's absolutely right. And you reminded me of uh, one of the one of the things I like to do is I like to make clay pots. I like to do pottery on a wheel. And in my early twenties, I took these classes, and we would bang the pot, the clay, the wet clay. We would work the clay. We would then stick it on this wheel. We would get the wheel going. We'd put on water. And I, and about two minutes later, I would have this huge, massive mess. The thing was wheeling out of control and everything. And one of my instructors said, you, you're thinking too much. Like, I'm trying to control my fingers. Well, of course, I'm trying to do what you said, right? And uh, he says, you have to think with this. And he tapped me at the base of my neck, right? I had no idea at the time what he was talking about. And it was eight months of going to three-hour classes once or twice a week or going to a class once a week and then going and practicing another day a week before I actually got it. And there were so many times I just wanted to take the clay and throw it against the wall and everything else. And then one day, somehow, I made this pot. And it wasn't the most beautiful pot in the world, but, I mean, it was a, you could tell it was a pot, which was just so amazing. And over the years... I'll uh, I'll just go and I'll take a, a class for four or five months, make a bunch of pots, give them away for Christmas gifts, and and uh, and that's sort of what I do. And I was at this one class where most of it was what's called rolling. They would roll uh, little tubes, uh, uh, kind of cylinders of clay, and then move them around, and then they would smooth them out, and that's how they made the pots. And that's what she was teaching. And she'd start teaching, and I went straight to the wheel and, and got on the wheel, right? I wasn't even paying attention. And one of the students said to the teacher, uh, why doesn't he come and roll with us? Like, why does he always go and he just goes right onto the wheel and you, you know, you're not even going to teach us the wheel. And she says, once you've gone through what it takes to learn how to throw pots on a wheel, you don't really want to do anything else. <laughs> and I thought she was very wise, right? Because I basically went through hell to, to learn that skill. And now that I had it, there was just there was nothing else I was going to do except continue to practice that particular skill and 
and I had no interest in rolling or anything else. But uh, yeah, when you're talking about learning the knife, opening the knife, I could just see the same thing because it was so hard in the beginning. And now it's now it's a wonderful experience. Well, and the great thing about it is, is that you discover that meditation isn't just sitting in a chair uh, or visualization, just sitting in a chair with your eyes closed and leaning back. Um, and, uh, you know, it is anything. Then when you were doing your pottery, that was a meditation for you. When yep. you exercise and you get to a certain level, that's what it is. And the same thing whether it's opening a knife or practicing archery or, you know, going out in the field and, and shooting, uh, what was it, the Beverly Hillbillies, they used to throw the uh, disc in the air and Ellie Mae used yeah. to fire and shoot them, you know. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that, again, if you talk to the expert marksmen or the people who study archery, They'll tell you that it's all like Zen meditation, and yeah. and then pottery the same, and that's the way exercise becomes. That's the way it becomes when you're preparing your own food. As you get, you've gotten past the struggle stage. It's now in the discipline stage where you're doing what you're doing because it's the, it's who you are. It's part of your being. And uh, one of the other quotes. Um, that I got about the topic of discipline, again, not my own. One comes from an author whose name is Dung Ming Dao, who wrote the book called The Wandering Taoist. And he penned, he inscribed the book to me about 15 years ago, and he wrote to Matt, In Discipline Lies Freedom. Four words. And, yeah. and I never forgot it. And I thought about it and thought about it and thought about it. what does it mean, what does it mean. And it's real simple. When you're not disciplined, and by that I mean self-disciplined, you are a slave. You're really not free because you're totally ruled by whatever emotion comes up at any time. And so, well, I don't feel like working out today. Okay. But if you're or I feel like having that cinnamon bun. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. So you might think that you're free because you can eat whatever you want and work out whenever you want, but in fact, you lack discipline and the real freedom comes in knowing that you're on the right track. You're in the right group. I always like to think about that in terms of choice, right? Oh, we've got this choice. I can choose the cinnamon bun or choose not to have it. And then I choose to have it. I think that's kind of like uh, uh, it's a little slimy. And it reminds me of a, which was a situation which wasn't slimy at all with my son when he was around eight years old. And he and his brother and I were going to go to the grocery store and get some groceries. And, I, and there was my, my wife at the time wasn't home, so... He says to me, well, I don't want to go. And I says, well, you've got to come. And he says, Dad, and he pulled himself up as high as he could, right? And he says, you've always taught me that I have a choice. And I choose not to go. And I looked at him. And, you know, and I, was just, I was just a little, I thought, wow, this kid's listening to me, right? I was really proud of him. 
And, and, uh, and then I thought, on the other hand, like, we're going, right? So I said, yes, John, you do have a choice. And he was beaming because he thought he'd won. And I said, but your choice is not whether you're staying or going. You're going. Your choice is whether you're going happily or sadly. <laughs> so choose which way you're coming and let's go. Yeah. And so he chose, he chose happiness and, and away we went. And it was just... It was so funny and so cute, right? This little eight-year-old is standing up and saying, I have a choice, yeah. yeah. But your choice is not what you think your choice is, right? And we have a choice to be healthy and fit and, and at our ideal weight or to be obese or to be anorexic. And I really believe those are our choices. And then once we make the choice, you, we need to have the discipline to be able to, uh, to see it through. And that and that's really the key. Right. Well, and also, once you've developed a discipline, it becomes a meditative part of your life. And when you're in that meditative state, you are free. Mm-hmm. You're not thinking about anything else except what you're doing. In fact, you're not even thinking about what you're doing. You're just doing it because you are in the zone. And... So the whole objective here is getting into the zone. You're an expert at getting into the zone, Matt, and I just wanted to let everybody uh, give give everybody a little bit of a background. I mean, you were when you were in college, you were wrestling at the University of Iowa, and Sports Illustrated came down and they did an, an an article because your coach Dan Gable, who was an Olympic champion and an Olympic coach. Uh, under his uh, coaching, Iowa won the Nationals 15 times in 20 years, which was just absolutely incredible. And so uh, it talked in the Sports Illustrated article about how dedicated you you and your fellow wrestlers were and the training regime uh, that you guys used. And they compared you to the monks at the Shaolin Temple. And... Uh, and you actually ended up going and, and meeting some monks at the Shaolin Temple a few times. Yes, I did. And uh, I was in college, uh, of course, at the University of Iowa. I was in college when that article came out in Sports Illustrated. And the reason I say this is because I didn't really understand the significance of what the writer was saying when he said that the Iowa wrestlers were the closest thing on earth you could find to the Shaolin monks in China. And I had heard about the Shaolin monks. I'd seen a few photos, but I really didn't know until I saw a video uh, of them training. And uh, it had Jet Li in it. When he, Many people don't realize this, but Jet Li was a Shaolin monk. Um, oh, I didn't know that trained at the Shaolin Temple in China. So he is a legitimate, he isn't just a movie star, he's a legitimate high-level martial artist. But I watched this DVD. Uh, Actually, it was a video at the time, not a DVD. And it showed these monks doing all sorts of incredible mind-over-matter feats, including having people break wood over their heads and over their arm or their leg and their back or chest, uh, having standing on pylons with one foot on each and crouching down into a low stance, which they call the horse stance, and having a bowl of water 
resting on their head as they did so, so that no water was to drip, and so on and so forth. The man doing sit-ups from a total hanging position, hanging from his feet, and underneath his head was a bucket of water. In his hand was a little uh, shot glass, and he would fill the shot glass with water. He would sit all the way up to his feet, not just to uh, perpendicular or parallel to the floor, but literally he would sit all the way up to his feet, and at his feet, above his feet, was a vase, an empty vase, and he would have to take the shot of the shot glass that he filled with water, sit all the way up, twist his body to the right, dump the water into the empty base, go twist back, come all the way back down, twist his body again and fill the shot glass. And it's wow. him doing this over and over nonstop like it was as easy as you and I having this conversation. Mind-boggling I, like I like the story about the 80-year-old monk doing a handstand. And doing the one-finger handstand. <laughs> so you That's think unbelievable. If you think of doing a handstand with both of your hands on the ground resting on your palms, this monk, who was 80 years old, did a handstand with one hand, but only one finger of one hand, his index finger, and he was supporting himself. That's unbelievable. It's incredible. Right. But he was totally relaxed and calm while holding this position. So again, in discipline lies freedom. <laughs> and I just, uh, I think when people take a look at what these monks were able to do and what the Iowa wrestlers were able to do winning 15 national team championships in 21 seasons, that it makes whatever you're working on with your own body in comparison and you can do the standard thing now at a very higher much higher level and say you know what if this monk could train himself to do that I can surely get myself into great shape I can get myself into the best shape of my life because I'm not planning on doing a one finger handstand I'm not planning on dragging uh a barrel filled with water across a field uh, with my testicles. <laughs> I'm not planning on standing on pylons for 45 minutes uh, with a bowl of water on my head and I can't spill a drop. All I'm doing is dropping 20, 30, 50 pounds, even 100 pounds. Any of those weights, it doesn't matter. The difficulty of getting rid of that excess weight and getting into tremendous shape again is not harder than anything I've described uh, with the Shaolin monks. You would rather have your uh, personal goal than what they have. <laughs> right. Yeah. Well, and I think I think one of the keys too, in in terms of taking this lesson as something to can be applied in our everyday lives, is the Shaolin monks weren't doing it by themselves, right? I mean, there were people watching them as they were learning their exercises or as they were practicing their exercises. And, and I know <clears throat> when you were wrestling at Iowa, there you had coaches watching you too. And if you try to take a shortcut or 
you know, go around about a way of doing what you were supposed to be doing, your coaches would be calling you on the mat and saying, hey, hold on there, you know. I said do, you know, 500 sit-ups, not 10 or whatever whatever it was. And same with the, with the, with the monks. When they're doing their stuff, there's someone watching, making sure that they're doing it properly. And I think oftentimes we feel like we're alone in... Uh, in, in whatever it is that we want to accomplish, I know I certainly do, and uh, and then and then uh, you know it's easy. Like I know if I didn't go to a hot yoga class with ten to fifty other people in the room and an instructor there, I would not be pushing myself nearly as hard as I push myself when I'm in the class. You know, the instructor says, "Yeah, just one more deep breath, or just stretch up one more time." You know, it's uh, I can do it one more time. One more time. I can do one more time, right? If I had to do it like a hundred more times, I'd be like, oh, forget it, right? And so I go further. I exercise harder. Uh, I have a better, deeper experience because I'm doing it in a group environment with the group energy, and I'm also doing it with a coach or instructor or uh, you know a, a master yoga uh, teacher. Uh, who is watching what I'm doing, and they'll say, no, you know, see, just adjust this. Oh, isn't that much better? Oh, yeah, I can feel that stretch way better. And so, uh, you know, I think having that as a group experience uh, is very, very important. No doubt about it. And uh, I think everybody uh, needs to understand that you will almost always run faster and train with more intensity and focus when you're being watched, um, yeah. I had a mentor said everyone runs faster when being timed, and that's really the truth. And even in the, even in the spirit of competition with others, you will exceed the best you ever did in practice when you get into yeah. competition. You'll run faster. You'll harder. You'll put more into it. Even even though you're not necessarily trying to, it will just happen. And so I think your suggestion is, is spot on. Get a coach or get a friend, but be so dedicated and devoted and disciplined that if your friend bails, you keep going. And you just find another person to train with or another coach. But have somebody else in your network that you can talk to and that you can improve your life with. So if you look at um, the success of so many of the 12-step programs, uh, why are they successful? Because they have other people of like mind who are going through similar uh, issues to talk to and relate to and so on. And when you have a coach or mentor in the fitness world, the same sort of thing happens, is that you have somebody that you can share your troubles with Say, you know, I really find it difficult to do this, or and the person can help guide you to the next level because he's been there before, or she's been that's there. Right. That's and that's I think that's a real key, is, and that's one of the reasons why we do this show on a weekly basis because we're we really want to be there for everybody uh, on a weekly basis, give you something new to think about, and uh, and tell you like you're not alone and. If uh, I really want to encourage you to go to www.freeweightlosspodcast.com and leave comments. You know, we the shows are pub- are published there. You, most of you probably are listening through 
uh, through iTunes. But, uh, you know, that feedback is important for us as well because we want to know we're not just talking to ourselves and that what we're sharing is of value to, to everyone that's listening. And also, this gives you an opportunity to say, you know what, uh, I've been, maybe I haven't been as disciplined in this area of my life as I want to be, and so I'm going to be setting a goal now of, of doing this on, on, you know, once a week, twice a week, once a month, twice a month, whatever it is. And, uh, we'll, you know, there's a bit of accountability that comes from putting something out into the universe and knowing that 180,000 other listeners are aware of that. And, uh, you know, and we'll, com- we'll comment on it if we, you know, if you do that, we'll say, hey, Susie, you know, way to go. Uh, you've decided you've done this and let us know in three months where you're at. Um, and so that's one way that we can we can support you. And another way that we can support you is uh, through some of the uh, programs that uh, that Matt has created over the last little while. And Matt, if somebody wanted to know more about some of your programs, where could they go? They can go to mattfury.com. I'll spell that for you. It's M-A-T-T-F-U-R-E-Y.com. Have a wonderful product weight loss without willpower. Also have some international bestsellers, combat conditioning, combat abs, uh, and, and, and many other products. But uh, those are the best to get people started on and get them on the road to superior health and fitness immediately. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We need to do something about that because up here in Canada there was an article the other day that just says us Canadians are getting, you know, fatter and fatter and fatter. And we used to, you know, kind of say, oh, we're not, uh, you know, we're not as bad as, as what we see in Vegas at the buffet. But uh, we're we're working hard to catch up, and that's uh, not something to be proud of. And and so we we really, I think, all of us everywhere need to take a real look at our lifestyle and what we're putting in our mouths and how we're spending our our time and. And, uh, and make a change. And that's why we're doing this. Weight Loss in the Mind 2.0. So we appreciate you all joining us, and we'll see you next time. Matt, do you, any, uh, any last words before we go? Uh, tune in to our next podcast because we're going to talk about one special exercise you can do uh, while doing any exercise. This is an add-on. And if you do this one thing, you'll dramatically increase your strength in all your exercises and you'll blowtorch excess slab off the waistline in record time. So make sure you tune in to the next one.